Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. So happy resurrection morning to you all. If you're new, I'm Jamie, one of the pastors here. It is my honor and my privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, the book of Acts chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one provided for you in the pew in front of you. Grab one of the black ones. And if you're not super familiar with the Bible, you'll find Acts chapter 13 toward the back, page 922 of the church Bible. Here's what we generally do here at Pickle Baptist. I'll read the passage, the whole thing, and then we will pray and ask for the Lord's help to understand what we read, and then we'll work through the passage a little bit at a time before we wrap things up and sing one more song Pray, dismiss, and enjoy our resurrection day. Should be around 30 minutes or so. Acts chapter 13, beginning at verse 26. Acts 13, 26 and following. If you're new to the Bible, that's left-hand column about middle of the way through. Hear now the word of the Lord. Brothers, Sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. To us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers. Because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets. Which are read every Sabbath fulfilled them by condemning him. And although they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I've begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this, your inerrant and holy word stands above us and we below it. And we ask now that you would give us your Holy Spirit as you have done so often. 
and give us understanding. That what we read here on these pages is not just words, but life. For they were spoken from your mouth. So be with us now and give us ears to hear that we would understand what you are speaking to us this morning. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Jesus Christ was born to a Jewish family in a world without electricity or mass transit. Most people lived in small towns and villages, made their living from farming, herding, or through some trade. Education was limited, and most people were illiterate. Religion played an important part in their lives. Most Jews attended synagogue every week. It was a time of political distress. The land was ruled by the powerful Roman Empire under the Emperor Tiberius. And Jews were viewed by the Romans with suspicion. A number of uprisings among the Jews had brought about an oppressive government response. And the people were forced to pay taxes to Caesar. Funding roads that would pay for the military, pagan temples. Jesus spent most of his life in relative obscurity. The adopted son of a carpenter. He never wrote a book. He never ran for political office. He never even met the emperor. At about the age 30, Jesus began his ministry. He began traveling around Galilee and the surrounding regions, preaching and teaching, telling people that he was the Messiah of God, the anointed one, the one foretold in the prophets that would come to redeem God's people. Many heard him, and they witnessed him performing many miracles, but yet most of them rejected Jesus' claim to be the Messiah. His fiercest opponents were among the religious elites of his day. They saw Jesus and he saw his teaching as a threat to their power structure. For so it was. And they had him killed. On Passover, 33 AD, in the city of Jerusalem, they convinced the Roman authorities to crucify Jesus Christ. They nailed him to a cross where he suffered unimaginably and died. Before sundown that day, they took him off the cross and wrapped his body in linen cloth and laid it in a tomb. A large stone was rolled over the front edge of that tomb and armed guards were stationed to keep anyone from stealing his body and claiming that he rose from the dead. But three days later, on the dawn of the first day of the week, as some women were approaching the tomb, the ground began to shake. The second earthquake in three days. An angel from heaven who looked like lightning descended and rolled back that big stone. The Roman guards fell to the ground quivering in fear. And the angel spoke to the women, do not be afraid. You seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Go and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead. Go and tell they did. 
And the disciples met the risen Lord Jesus in the place that he had foretold. And they spent many days with him before he ascended into heaven. Where then he poured out his Holy Spirit, making them his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. At the time of his resurrection, mere thousands knew the name of Jesus of Nazareth. But today, 2.2 billion people call him Lord. You know, there are ten times more people will gather in worship in churches this morning than were alive in Jesus' day. It is said that this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And so as we come to Acts chapter 13, we find ourselves listening in on one proclamation of that gospel in a sermon that is preached from one particular witness to the resurrected Lord. A Middle Eastern terrorist turned Christian named Saul of Tarsus. Saul, whose Roman name is Paul, is on his first missionary journey with his friend Barnabas. He's in a city called Antioch, and there he preaches a sermon. And Paul's concern for those in Antioch that day was that they would repeat the same error as those in Jerusalem just a few years earlier. In Jerusalem, they had not recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't understand that he was the one the prophets spoke about. They rejected the Lord and remained trapped in their sin, unable to escape the penalty and power of their sin. And so Paul calls those in Antioch to believe in Jesus Christ and to receive the freedom that is given to any and to all who call upon the name of the Lord. And so here we are, some 2,000 years later, on the other side of the planet, celebrating the same Savior, celebrating the same resurrection, hearing the same gospel. And so we must heed the same warnings. For we, like those in Antioch, must turn to Jesus Christ to be freed from the power of our sin and from death. We must heed the same warnings. Three parts to the passage before us this morning. And these three parts will serve as the outline on our time together. Number one, Jesus died to fulfill the law of God, which we'll see in verses 26 to 29. Jesus died to fulfill the law of God. Second, Jesus was risen to fulfill the promises of God. Jesus was raised to fulfill the promises of God, which we'll see in verses 30 to 37. And then finally, Jesus grants forgiveness and freedom to all the children of God. Jesus grants forgiveness and freedom. To all the children of God. From verses 38 and 39. All of this is driving to the main idea this morning. Which is this. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Proclaim him. And live free. So that's where we're headed in the next 20 minutes or so. Let's pick up reading again. Back in verse 26 to 29. 
Acts 13, 26 to 29. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they didn't understand him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. So Paul tells those in Antioch, those who were in Jerusalem, because they didn't recognize Jesus, because they hadn't been listening to Scripture that was read about him in every Sabbath, they fulfilled the Scriptures that were written about him by condemning him. Had they been listening, they would have recognized that he was the Messiah and that they would not have been condemned by their actions. You see, Jesus had been telling people ever since the beginning of his ministry that all of the scriptures, all of the prophets pointed to him. The prophets were writing about him. He told people that the prophecy, hundreds of years old, was being fulfilled before their very eyes. Jesus did all the things the scripture predicted he would do. Even the things that were seemingly outside of his control. He fulfilled those things too. Things like the timing of his birth, the place of his birth, the events surrounding his death. The scriptures foretold that Jesus would be born to a virgin that he would perform miracles, that he would preach on freedom. Scriptures have foretold that he would be betrayed by someone close to him. He would be innocent, but yet he would be condemned. The scriptures foretold that his hands and his feet would be pierced. You know, scriptures foretold even the little details. Like people would argue over his own clothing. They would cast lots for his clothing. The scriptures have foretold that Gentiles would insult him and mock him and that he would suffer and yet none of his bones would be broken. The scriptures foretold that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. He fulfilled all of these and about 300 more. Verse 28 says, They found in him no guilt worthy of death and yet they demanded to have Pontius Pilate kill him. And when they had fulfilled, carried out all that the Bible had written about him, they laid him in a tomb. Now that verse, that phrase in verse 29, carried out, is one word in the original language. It means that they did exactly what the scripture said that they would do. And it is not an accident that that same word is related to the last word that Jesus said from the cross, which was, it is finished. Jesus fulfilled the law of God. Now why should we care about that? Well, because God is holy and God's law required that his people would be holy. But no one was. God gave them his law to tell them what it took for them to be holy. And yet no one kept God's law, not one. And furthermore, God had promised that all who break his law will die. And so God gave them this very elaborate sacrificial system to cover their sin until the day of the Messiah would come to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And when Jesus came, he kept the law of God perfectly. 
And during his time on the cross, all the law breaking of his people was placed on him, as Pastor Brent mentioned earlier. Though he was sinless himself, he bore their sins in his body on the tree. The penalty of sin was death, and therefore Jesus died. And in his death, he paid that penalty. Think of the law of God a bit like a map that tells you the way to climb a great mountain. You are at the base of the mountain, and God in paradise is on the top of the mountain. And held out to you are these very precious promises, promises of life and joy everlasting in paradise with God. All you have to do is summit the mountain. The problem is, you're blind. You can't read the map. Both of your legs are broken. You can't climb the mountain. Your heart is weak. Your will is weak. You have no equipment with which to climb, no protection from the elements. But the biggest obstacle of all is that you hate that mountain. And you hate the one on top of the mountain. And you hate the map that he gave you that it takes for you to get up the mountain. And in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches that God himself took on flesh. It's as if he came off the mountain and came down to you. And he put you on his back and he carried you up the mountain to God. He gave life to your dead heart. He warmed your affections to himself. He gave you faith to trust him. And he put you on his back. And all the while he's carrying you up the mountain, you're reading that map that you once hated, now loving it as you watch him carry it out with you on his back. And when you reach the top and meet God, heaven rejoices. And the craziest part of it all is that when God the Son hands you to God the Father, you receive the reward for climbing the mountain. So you see, Jesus not only fulfilled the law of God in his death, he also fulfilled the promises of God in his resurrection. Let's keep reading. Verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. (laughs) And for many days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by what? Raising Jesus. Throughout the Bible, The Lord made many glorious promises to his people. They were his chosen people. And he said that if you will obey my voice and keep my commandments, then I will prosper the work of your hands. I will prosper the fruit of your womb. The very land they lived on would reflect the Lord's blessing on them. And the Lord would delight to bless his people. Israel was like this choice vine which God had planted to produce the finest of grapes. And the Lord promised that I'll be your vine dresser. I'll give the sun. I'll give the rain. I'll take care of you. I'll protect you. 
But Israel produced wild grapes. They didn't obey the voice of the Lord. They didn't keep the commandments of the Lord. They worshipped false gods. And the Lord would warn them. Call them to repent of this. And when they refused, he would judge them. To call them to repent of this. And sometimes they would. But then after that, they would fall back into disobedience. And fall back into idolatry. And so they needed help. And so the Lord promised that he would send them a king. But not just any king, a special king that he would relate to as a son. That's verse 33. Paul is drawing from God's promise in Psalm 2. You are my son. Today I've begotten you. And then he draws out God's promise that God had made to King David of holy and sure blessings. These promises that were now centuries old that God had given to David had seemed to fail. He had promised David, I will make you a throne, a kingdom that will never end. But King David died. That's what Paul said. He served God's purpose for his generation and he died. And they laid him in a tomb. And his body decayed. Ah, but these promises were never meant to be fulfilled by David but by David's son. A man that was born in the lineage of David some 28 generations later, Jesus of Nazareth. The holy and sure blessings of God to David would be fulfilled in Christ. He died. His body was laid in a tomb, but he did not see corruption. Christ died to fulfill the law, and the law required death. But because Jesus had no sin, death could not hold him. And he was raised from the dead. And so it is through this one man, both the law of God and the promises of God are fulfilled. That he fulfilled the law of God by dying the death required of those who had broken the law. And he fulfilled the promises of God by keeping the law on behalf of those who hadn't. And the good news that Paul speaks of in verse 32 is that this man is the fulfillment of the law and of the promises. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. All the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God had promised childless Abraham that he would make his descendants into a great multitude which no one could number. This promise was fulfilled through Jesus Christ who being raised from the dead created a people. A great multitude which no one could number. Revelation 7 verse 9. God promised Abraham that he'd bless all the nations through his descendants. Well, this promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who, being raised from the dead, is the Savior of the world, and the blessing of Abraham is for all people. Galatians 3.14. God promised David that he'd establish his throne forever. Well, that promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who, being raised from the dead, sits on David's throne, ruling and reigning, whose kingdom has no end. Luke 1, 32 to 33. God promised that he'd sent a servant who would suffer for his people. And that promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, being raised from the dead, that takes away the sins of the world. 
John 1, 29. God promised that he'd send a redeemer to save his people from judgment. That promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who being raised from the dead, raised from the dead, redeems us by God. Revelation 5, 9. God promised that he would send a priest without beginning of days or end of life. And that promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who being raised from the dead, lives forever, making intercession for us. Hebrews 7, 25. God promised that he'd make a new covenant with his people. And that promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who being raised from the dead is the mediator of the new covenant, granting the promises of eternal life to his people. Hebrews 9.15 All of that to say, what God promised he has fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In his death, he fulfilled the law of God. In his resurrection, he fulfilled the promises of God. And so this is why the resurrection is so precious to us Christians. For Christ has died, and Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Finally, let us consider some of the glorious implications of his resurrection in our lives today. And this is where we'll close. Pick up reading in verse 38. Jesus grants forgiveness and freedom to all the children of God. Verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything, that you cannot be freed by the law of Moses. Through this man, two things are guaranteed to all who repent and believe. Number one, forgiveness of sins, and number two, freedom from the curse of the law. In one man... God meets humanity's two greatest needs, to be forgiven of sin and to be reconciled to God. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm glad you're here. Your creator has just diagnosed your two greatest needs. And regardless of what you think your greatest needs are today, let me assure you that the one who created you knows better. And he has diagnosed your two greatest needs as number one, to be forgiven of your sins. And number two, to be made right before your God. You see, you have sinned and you have fallen short of God's holy standards. And your sin has separated you from your God. And something must be done. The law of God with all of its punitive judgments hangs over you. Like the map. It shows you just how far off the path you are. It, just, it shows you just how you will never be able to make the climb. And the law of God can't get you to heaven any more than a paper map can get you up Everest. Well, it can show you the path that you can take, but it can't give you legs. It can't give you a will. It can't give you the equipment. You stand at the base of this mountain condemned by the law of God. And sinner, you are helpless and hopeless to do anything about your two greatest needs. And so another must come to help you. The good news that you are hearing this morning is that another has. Jesus Christ, the righteous, has come. Turn to him today. Confess your sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Take his hand and receive new life. He will carry you up the mountain of God. And although he did everything, you will receive all the blessing. 
As soon as the service is over today, find someone who looks like a Christian around here and tell them that you would like to have your sins forgiven through Jesus Christ. You would like to receive the freedom that's granted to all who believe. I'll be standing in those double doors on your way out. Talk to me. I would love to meet you. What Paul is saying in these last two verses of our passage is absolutely incredible. Because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God not only grants forgiveness of sins, but also justification. That word freed in verse 39 is the same word translated elsewhere as justification. The New Living Translation explains this verse well. It says, everyone who believes in Jesus is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. You see what Paul is saying? Not only has Christ forgiven our sins, but he has also granted us his righteousness. For two things, remember, are needed for entrance into heaven. Sinlessness and righteousness. And Jesus gave us both. Two things happened between Good Friday and Easter morning. On Good Friday, Jesus Christ took our sin. On Easter morning, Jesus Christ was declared righteous. And for all who are united to him in faith, Paul writes in Romans 4, He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The resurrection of the Savior is the justification of the sinner. Because of Jesus Christ, you have been made right with God. You've been freed from the law of sin and death. And you were guaranteed life eternal, joy everlasting. So what does that mean? This afternoon, what does that mean? It means a million things. It means no devil needs you fear. It means no condemnation needs you believe. It means no temptation needs you heed. It means no worry needs you feel. You belong to Christ. You are his. He is yours. All is good. It means that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor house fire, nor eviction notice, nor cancer, nor loveless marriage, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So you can leave here today with your head held high and a giant resurrection smile on your face because he lives. And in your joy, tell all. For to us has been given this message that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. Let's pray. Father, will you receive our thanks this morning from grateful hearts full of appreciation and joy that comes through our union with your Son. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. 
the founder of our faith, the substance of our joy, the certainty of life everlasting. And may our lives this week be shaped by the knowledge of who He is. We confess, O Lord, the sins of commission and omission, that we have done what You have forbidden, and that we have left undone what You have commanded. Will You please forgive us? Father, forgive us for the hard-heartedness, for divisiveness, Forgive us for unbelief and pride. Forgive us for deficiency in zeal. Forgive us for impurity of thought and words and deed. Forgive our coveting. Forgive our untruthfulness in dealing with others. Forgive us for harshness. Pardon our sins, known and unknown. And bring us anew to the foot of the cross. And give us grace to lay these matters at your feet. To turn from them and never return again. And send us from this place fully assured of your mercy. Of an empty tomb. Of the victory of Christ's resurrection. And give us confidence to spend and to be spent for his sake. Amen. Please stand to your feet. At the end of our service, one of the things we look to do is to seek the Lord for an assurance of pardon. We have confessed our sins multiple times in the service today. And now we look to the Lord to give us an assurance that He has heard us as we have prayed in faith for forgiveness. And so today, your assurance of pardon comes from Acts chapter 13, verse 38, which is a part of our passage today. Let it be known to you, Pickle Baptist Church, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Rest this week and rejoice in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And join us as we sing one more song.